the spread of the coronavirus. The World Health Organization says the risk of the virus expanding worldwide is now classified as very high. That COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. Then I can fill my lungs and, and then all I want to do is cry because I don't know what else to do with the emotion anymore. Say they are already juggling those life-saving ventilators. Located in parts of Arizona, Utah, and New Mexico has been one of the hardest hit areas of COVID-19 and now has the highest infection rate Deadly in the United States. Deadly police shooting up Breonna Taylor, an EMT who was killed in March inside Rome. Well, and don't quite understand is anti-blackness and how it's about that deadly port explosion in Beirut. Wildfires are burning in the West. Tropical storm Laura. Pandemic. Another people probably have been steadily falling for years. Now it's rising again for the first time since 1990. Are you telling me that you're going to keep me from talking right now? Look, look here. You're calling me disrespectful because I'm Oh Lord, tune our hearts. So that we may be perceptive to our children as they process the complicated world around them. Help us guide humbly without needing every right answer. Help us speak honestly without flooding them with information. Oh Lord, lead us as we open our arms to bring our little ones and their big feelings close for they have picked up on our grown-up worries and worn them as their own, mirroring our own furrowed brows and tight shoulders after hearing bits of a hushed conversation or catching a headline not meant for the young. Hi, I'm Philippe Lazaro. And I'm Christy Renault. You're listening to the Grassroots Podcast, a Plant With Purpose production. The voice you heard in that prayer was Kayla Craig, one of the guests from today's episode we'll be hearing more from later on. But that intro, I mean, a lot has happened since our last season of the show. Oh, a lot. So apart from the obvious disruptive chaotic events, uh, some good happened. I became a dad. My husband and I learned that we're expecting our second. Uh, But also our world was very much flipped upside down got a pandemic, a reckoning with race relations in our country, uh, extremely heated election that, okay, that one was probably a little more predictable. But I'm curious, how has the experience of the past several months been for you? It's definitely been unusual. We've been home a lot. We had a home renovation emergency, (laughs) like a plumbing disaster that left us homeless for a little while of the pandemic. and That was pretty early on in the quarantine too, right? Yeah, so that was just complicated. It's all resolved now and we're fine, but we've learned that navigating the world is just new and challenging and sometimes stressful and sometimes relaxing. But I think it's been a good moment to think about needing to to give up control and be willing to surrender and yeah, just go with what comes is hoping for the best. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, for us too, it's been um, it's been a season of growth. It's also been a reminder that growth is, you know, usually a really uncomfortable and trying thing. I think, you know, we've all been really well stretched past our comfort zones. Uh, we've been having conversations with family members about some of these important issues. We're learning how to prioritize taking care of each other and how to practice our faith uh, by being mindful of the most vulnerable while while all this is going on. 
I think there's been several times where we just find ourselves relating to that biblical analogy of the, the refiner's fire, how that melts away all of the impurities and, and what we're left with is gold. But, you know, the, the full analogy holds really well because it's heated, it's hot, it, and there's a lot of letting go and burning away. And anyway, I know we're still very much in the middle of it. But my hope is that by the end, you know, it, it's good. And and yeah, just thought we would fill some of you listeners on on what has happened and what to expect from us this season. Yeah, speaking of this season, right before our world went on lockdown, we were actually in the middle of planning out the second season of Grassroots. We had a lot lined up. We knew the guests we wanted. We knew the topics that we wanted to handle. We knew the ways that we could bring you closer to the front lines of the climate crisis. And then suddenly, (laughs) everything changed really, really, really fast. We'll be honest, one of the hardest parts of our job this year has been figuring out how to communicate appropriately during this time. You know, we're an environmental organization, a Christian organization, and just when we think we've gotten our grip on one of these challenging topics, another one shows up. So perhaps this is a really good time to talk about the Grassroots Podcast and what we're trying to do with this show. I mean, some of you are probably new to this show, and well, this may be an odd time to get acquainted, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, We started the show last year wanting to refocus the climate conversation on the communities and the people who are most affected. It's the poorest communities living in places in Latin America or Africa. It's people like rural farming families who are farming land that's difficult to farm in the first place, who are feeling the the impact. Here in the U.S. at home, it's low-income communities, often communities of color. It's indigenous people all across the board globally. And so often, when we think of climate only in technical terms, we forget the human impact. So that was our initial goal. We're a production of Plant with Purpose, which is the Christian environmental organization that Christy and I work for, and we'll introduce some of that in just a second. Yeah, we're not a health organization. Uh, So when COVID-19 hit, we thought, well, is this really our spot? But then we dug a little bit deeper. And what we realized is that what's happening around the world and what's happening with this virus, really, it stems from something so strongly related to our mission. We know that the coronavirus broke out most likely in part due to damaged relationships between humans and nature that allowed the proximity that allowed for the virus to spread in the first time. And so it's called for a collective response, a systematic response, thinking much bigger than just how do we treat the symptoms of this disease right now. And it also raised the question of who are our neighbors? How do we love our neighbors, especially the most vulnerable ones? Yeah, we often talk about our work is really all about relationships, our relationship with God, our relationship with creation, with each other, And so even other issues that have emerged, like racial justice and the role of the church and social issues come into play. So we threw out our playbook for how we thought about this podcast. And instead, we're focusing on some of the themes that we just can't ignore that seem so interrelated to what we're already talking about. Things like lament and vulnerability. Ecological health and human health. Environmental anti-racism and how to engage these issues with love and grace. So that's what to expect this season. On this episode, we're going to focus on vulnerability. This is the one central theme of our work at Plant With Purpose. As Philippe mentioned earlier, we're a Christian environmental organization, and what we do specifically is that we work around the world in rural communities with high rates of poverty. 
where in countries like Ethiopia, Haiti, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and what we find is that much of the poverty there is tied to poor ecological health in these communities. So we work with local leaders to do things like plant trees, protect forests, and promote regenerative farming and soil health. We also do microfinance activities, spiritual discipleship, we partner with churches, and we do all of this to take a really holistic approach to address the root causes of the needs in those communities. We have all local partners in every one of these sites, and they're basically leading the charge. We try and localize our efforts as much as possible, and what we see as a result is really cool. We see that once you reverse the cycle of how environmental distress causes poverty and poverty cycles back to create more environmental damage because of uh, desperation, you can totally throw that cycle in reverse and see that when people's land heals, they grow more food and they can take their extra income and invest that into a small business. And generally that helps the land, it gives them more resources to, to heal the land and promote sustainability and the cycle goes the other way. Uh, Christy, I'm sure a lot of people who follow our work or who have known about what we do want to know how our communities have managed during the pandemic. What can we say? It's definitely been difficult, um, but we have a lot to be thankful for. Originally, we were just super concerned thinking about the fact that our communities where we partner are, are so remote. It also means that they don't really have access to, to quality medical care in most cases. I'm thinking about some communities in the Democratic Republic of Congo, for example, that you'd have to walk, oh, a good day at least before you'd get to a clinic. And so just kind of thinking about that context, it seemed like this virus was going to be really, really, really devastating once it reached our communities. So we took prevention very seriously. We halted all travel. We realized that our partner's best defense is really the remoteness of their communities. And so we did everything we could to make sure that we were not carriers of the disease to these communities. And that restriction made our work pretty difficult. Uh, but as time went on, we found that we had a lot of ways to keep going. Yeah, I mean, some of our uh, countries we work in were hit pretty hard. And sadly, we have had a few infections and at least one death that I'm aware of. Uh, but given the amount of people we work with across eight countries and um, hundreds of families, it's it's actually not too difficult to imagine things going much, much worse. And we definitely feel a sense of gratitude for uh, what we've been spared. Yeah, it's also led me to spend a lot of time thinking about how valuable it is to have local partnerships and not be top down in the way that we approach community development. We have always held as a core value that we want to hire only local people. We want to promote and foster local leaders, even if we're needing to help build and equip people to take that leadership role. And what we've seen is that that has been our saving grace because all of the people that we work with, all of our staff are local, rooted in those communities. And so that's home for them. They're not going somewhere else as they're needing to, to hunker down and stay in place. They're in those communities. And, and so that's, that's made us I mean, stronger in the long run, but much more resilient in this particular unique situation. If it wasn't for our investment in building local leaderships and empowering local people, we wouldn't have been able to keep the work going like we have this year. Yeah. And you mentioned that word resilience. I think that's a theme that we've really uh, 
uh, started to appreciate this year. You know, the uh, economic resilience, environmental resilience, uh, emotional and spiritual resilience. So we're we're a very uh, data driven organization. We, we want to know that our efforts are actually having the impact we uh, we want them to have. And one thing we've learned just over the years of measuring what we do is that our participants uh, accumulate about two and a half months worth of savings. And you think about that, a lot of people um, don't have that much in savings. And when a crisis emerges like like a pandemic, um, that savings is a really big deal. Uh, they also have a lot of a lot healthier soil. And so when markets close down and uh, their nearby town uh, has a lockdown, uh, being able to have this cash on hand and being able to grow their own food from healthy land, that makes such a big difference. Here's a message from one of our friends in the Dominican Republic, Basilia. For us at home, we don't have to go out and buy a packet of juice mix just in order to have juice. We grow it here. That's why we have this plot so we can eat the fruits ourselves at home. Thanks to this, my family hasn't been too affected by the economy. I'm part of a savings group with Plant With Purpose. It has been very helpful. We keep our plots healthy so they produce both quality and quantity, better production, and I have fertilizer. I have a family garden. We turn waste products into fertilizer. In our family, we aren't extremely worried. We haven't been affected by this virus. We know relatives who have been, but thanks to God, in this town, in our house, we aren't so worried. We practice social distancing to protect ourselves, to avoid the virus. Because of this, despite the economy and food insecurity, we have enough resources. Every now and then, I do have to go out for food we can't produce ourselves, like cooking oil. But we are not feeling the direct effects of this pandemic because we've learned sustainable and organic farming. So, I've got to admit, I spend a lot of time lurking on Twitter. And for several months, I tracked the story of this odd pneumonia-like illness going around China and how large cities over there were imposing lockdowns to stop the spread. Of course, we've seen regional outbreaks of things like SARS, MERS, Zika before. So, you know, I thought that was the sort of thing we were looking at. In February, it arrived in the United States. Uh, my wife has a compromised immune system. It's her respiratory system that's particularly vulnerable. So I started to think if this thing makes its way here, what do we do? I started buying extra groceries, foods that would keep just in case. Most of that time, I felt like I was being abnormally cautious. But then March 11 came around. Uh, Plant with Purpose was actually having a staff retreat that day, so my mom was looking after my son, and I remember parking my car in front of her house, then picking up my phone to let her know I was there, and the push notifications on my screen were completely wild. Tom Hanks had the virus. The Utah Jazz had to cancel their game because a couple of their players had the virus. A couple of congressmen were infected, and this was no longer a hypothetical scenario. The virus was much closer than China or Italy or Iran. It was closer than just something I read on Twitter. For all we knew, it was across the street. Over the next few days, our office closed. We figured out how to transition to working remotely. We halted our travel to our program sites. Um, we started a readiness and resilience campaign to raise funds for our partner communities to better prepare for what was coming their way. And we started thinking about how to speak to the situation that we were in. We realized a big common thread is vulnerability. 
the whole reason we have so much urgency in our efforts against climate change is because of the way that it affects the most vulnerable communities, these rural villages, neighborhoods of color, women, children, sub-Saharan Africa, island nations in the Caribbean and the Pacific. And a big reason it's important for each of us to take responsibility with transportation, with our eating choices, with our purchases, with our votes, whatever we can do, is for the sake of the most vulnerable. It's basically out of love. And it was the same case with COVID-19. We were urging a collective shift in behavior for the sake of protecting the elderly, the immunocompromised, communities of color, and with every canceled plan, every shift of working from home, every mask, every six-foot buffer zone, I kept reminding myself over and over again, this is my opportunity to love my more vulnerable neighbors. Having members of my own family in a vulnerable position this time made me realize, in many ways, we're all vulnerable. I mean, some of us due to poverty, geography, race, or disability will have to confront their vulnerability all throughout their life. But at some point, all of our lives are fragile. A few disruptions can quickly wipe out our sense of security. Good health is not a permanent condition. And while we don't like to think about our own vulnerability, I think holding space for this can help us have more compassion for others who live in constant awareness of their own vulnerability. I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram at all, but I'm an Enneagram 8, and it's often said that Enneagram 8s struggle a lot with vulnerability. <laughs> so it's something that I'm working on myself and, and asking God that I would be open to showing my weakness and not always being the strong one or the brave one, but just sitting with someone, not needing to be the hero, but just being a listening ear, ear or a friend. And how can I incorporate all of the decisions I make as a mother, as a podcaster, as a writer, whatever I'm doing to kind of cultivate those values? How can I cultivate the fruit of the spirit, right? And, and all the things that I do and how can I give my weakness to God and how can his strength be made perfect in that weakness? <laughs> my wife's an eight and I, I'm a seven with an eight wing. So <laughs> I guess I Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Here's Kayla Craig again. Kayla is a journalist, a writer, and a natural storyteller. If you've ever listened to the Love Anyway podcast by our friends at Preemptive Love, you might recognize her voice. She's the host of that show, as well as the Upside Down podcast. She's also working on a book, Liturgies for Parents, which you heard a snippet from right at the start of this episode. Kayla is a mother to four, and as the pandemic made its presence felt, she also understood it through the lens of vulnerability. When I hear you talking about that, I think about that week and um, a friend of mine who is an editor asked if I would be willing to write out of my own experience of what it is to parent a child that has a compromised immune system. And I knew I wanted to, and I also knew it would be really, really difficult because I wanted to share a story about my toddler daughter. And last year she was, um, in the PICU and she was on life support and she was on an oscillator, which is a giant machine that shakes you and gets 
air into your lungs and breathes for you. It's even more intense than a ventilator, right? And so I had to put myself back in that room for a month and remember her on all of these IVs and tubes and machines and how hard that was. And in sharing that, I hoped, you know, in that own vulnerability as a parent, as kind of one of your worst nightmares coming true, I thought if I could share this and share how it was really, really difficult for me, and if I can just be completely myself and honest, then one, maybe other parents who are feeling this kind of wave of secondary trauma, thinking about what would happen if their child got the coronavirus now, maybe they'll feel less alone. Maybe I'll put words to an experience that they're feeling. And then the second part of that is that maybe somebody who was like, oh, it's not really, you know, that big of a deal or whatever, could see that it affects somebody and a whole family in a way that you might not know otherwise, unless you've heard the story. And my daughter can't tell you that story. And so my prayer is that I would steward that story well and share it out of my own experience. Um, But I really just feel like the power of story, when we can just be completely honest, that is what is going to help us open our minds. You know, it's when we, when we hear a story, when we know somebody shares, this is what happened to me. This is my own experience. It's a lot harder to argue with that than with facts and figures and numbers and data. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of that going on. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, story, I think stories, you know, not you can always run into somebody dismissing anything these days, but I, I do still feel like, a person's story and, and opening up that window of vulnerability can do things that that sheer facts and figures can't. Right. And and we found that too with, um, I mean, just so much of the podcast of Love Anyway at Preemptive Love, you know, we're telling a story of a young man in the U.S. who is a dreamer, you know, and what that life is like for him and him telling his story or, or hearing about a mom. And she's just a mom like me, except her world has been completely flipped upside down and she doesn't know how she's going to provide the next meal. You know, when you start to hear stories, I feel like it becomes so much more humanizing and real. And then all of a sudden you find yourself caring about that person that maybe was just a statistic in your brain and you realize, okay, this person is, you know, reflecting the image of God is an image bearer and is beloved. And now, and and maybe you don't even come full fully to where you would you know, politically advocate or agree, but at least there's a humanizing factor. And I think we need a lot more of that right now. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Full agree. Our audience is probably a lot of us are listening to this as a podcast that where one of our main themes is the environment is, is climate change. And you've, um, you know, told very broad ranging stories, but how would you see something like this uh, humanizing, dignifying approaches, storytelling. How do you see that that has a potential to make an impact in, in um, this whole struggle for for climate justice that we're caught up in right now? Well, I think it's so amazing when we start to unpack. Like we see a family or a community in poverty, 
And then we start peeling back the layers of what has caused that. Like, why can't this farming family cultivate the land anymore? We start peeling back these layers of what's what's going on behind, you know, we don't want to just throw a bag of rice at someone and say, well, now you can eat. Everything's fine. We need to take it 20 steps you know, behind and see what's really going on. And I feel like when we understand, okay, here's what's going on. Because of changes in climate, they are unable to farm like they normally did. This is what caused this, you know, temperature change. This is what caused differences in the soil. You know, we start peeling back those layers, then we can really change the tides, right? We can create change that will have a lasting effect. So families can get back to providing for their families. They can get back to farming. Maybe we need creative solutions for that. Maybe we need to farm in a new way or, or think of how we're going to use greenhouses, you know, and, and have creative solutions and, you know, a prophetic imagination for the best ways to do that. But we can't get there unless we peel back the curtain and start peeling back those layers of what's going on, you know? You know, you were just talking about, we need a, a new way of, of looking at each other and seeing people. Again, thinking back to the, the early days of, <laughs> of this season we're in. Uh, yeah. One of the things that came to mind is just, you know, we started to realize that, hey, the person stocking the groceries on our grocery store shelf is bringing in this critical and crucial service to the world that if you remove that that piece so many things fall apart we, we no longer have access to our food that we've taken for granted and we can say this about um the farm workers in the fields who are growing that food and, and the delivery drivers who are going and i think for me that really um challenged this notion I, you know i i spent a lot of time in 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 circles where we like to dream big and imagine you know our, our purpose and our life's calling and I think that's a great thing. And I think we often associate that with having some sort of role that involves maybe a stage or a mega mm. platform or something. <laughs> and just realizing that, like, you know, there's this, you know, that same sense of calling and purpose and and bringing something to the world that is important is just as true for the farm worker and the driver and the stalker and the cashier and, and all the personnel. Um, and I, I hope one of the things that we move into is no longer taking that for granted or, or no longer seeing them as, um, you know, lesser important roles because they aren't. <laughs> we, we Absolutely. My, I talked with my kids and, and we recorded actually some of this for the Love Anyway podcast, but when this kind of was starting and we we're kind of having this reckoning of, okay, life is going to change a lot. I, I talked with my kids about helpers, you know, it's often said, look for the helpers. And we talked about who are the helpers. And, you know, at first they give the answers like the emergency personnel and doctors. But as we started talking about it, we started talking about Uncle Nathan, who is stocking the shelves. So we have food to eat. And then where does that food come from, you know, and it really starting, it's just kind of like I was talking about before we start peeling back the layers and we see that we are all depending on each other. We belong to each other. And for so often there's many of us who live lives of 
a lot of privilege who don't often have to think about that. We don't even pay attention. Um, and we're missing out on so much uh, when we do that. And so I've just been asking God that I would be able to pay attention, that I would pay attention and then I would tell the truth about it. Um, and so that is something that I'm hoping to do. Um, and and part of that is small. And this work and this life can look very ordinary and not sexy and not, not on stage and with lots of glitz and glamour. But um, I think that's where we see Jesus. You uh, touched on this. And one thing I definitely want to ask you more about it has been um, parenting through the season and um, having your kids be part of this journey and everything. I suppose I'm technically parenting during the pandemic, but my kid is um, one. <laughs> and so <laughs> I've the part where I have to actually explain a lot of what's going on. It's a separate set of challenges, but I think some right. of the ones I've escaped are the ones that seem hard to me is, you know, yeah, taking this, all that's going on, stuff that's hard for us as adults to process. And then put helping kids navigate their way through it too. So I'm curious, how has that been going on in your, your family with with four kiddos? Yeah, it's definitely humbling. (laughs) Uh, You know, I'm, I'm learning. There is no guidebook. There is no parenting in a pandemic guidebook of how to get from A to Z. We're all doing our best. And it is humbling because oftentimes we see our shortcomings when My family has been taking social distancing very seriously because of some compromised immune systems in our home. So we have been together pretty much 24-7 for a very long time. And you can very quickly see those ugly parts of yourself rise up in, in new ways when you're all together. And so it's been very humbling for me to realize, okay, I need to take a break or, okay, you know what, in this moment, I am going to choose sacrifice and I I am going to live in this way even when I want to zone out and watch TV. And believe me, I also do a lot of that too. And we have screens and we're we're all doing our very best. Um, But it has led to a lot of really good conversations about, well, people are wearing masks when they go to the store. And that is a special way that we can love our neighbor. And we can talk about who are the people in our community and in our neighborhood and in our church and in our schools that are doing hard work. And how can we love them? And how can we think of creative ways? And, you know, kind of that mutuality aspect is people have loved us in really special ways. And knowing that, um, you know, my 10-year-old just had a birthday and a really sweet family in our church. They're empty nesters. They, We've had three pandemic birthdays and for each one, they have come to our front doorstep and stood in our front yard and sang a silly happy birthday song and danced. <laughs> and it is just a tangible way to show up, you know, and say, hey, you matter to me. I know things are hard, but we're thinking of you and we love you. And it's just goes back to we need to be creative and we need to think of new ways. And the thing about God's kingdom is there's always a a different way. And it's not A or B. It's not in the alphabet altogether, you know. Um, And I really feel like it has been exhausting in this time. And it's also been fruitful in ways that I wouldn't have expected. So 
We're taking it one day, one hour at a time. I'm working from home. My husband is mostly officing from home. And my kids are going to be doing virtual online school. And so um, we're just deciding as a family that this is our value. And this is a way that we can keep people safe and we can stay healthy with those of us who are more likely to get sick. So I'm hoping that someday when my kids look back on this, you know, they might be like, our house was messy and sometimes mom was grouchy in the morning, but we chose love as a family. This moment can be difficult enough for us adults to process, so we wanted to ask Kayla what it was like to help kids navigate such a challenging year. I think one thing that I find myself repeating to my kids, especially when my boys who are between the ages of four and nine are not getting along, (laughs) is I remind them that we are a team and we stick together. Those are two things I say a whole lot. We're a team and we stick together. And I think that that can help us get through so many ideas of our grown-up lives too. You know, when we think of our neighbors and our neighborhood as being a team that sticks together, it kind of shifts maybe the way we view something. And when we think about that nationally or even globally, like we, we're a team and we stick together. Um, you know, it's something that's so, you know, silly and, and for children, but I think has a lot to teach me too. I'm, you know, imagining just those those scenes of, of, you know, the crowd crowded hospital wings and just seeing like over at superimposed in text, we're a team, we stick together. Mm. That's, that's <laughs> what we're gonna do. Maybe not physically, literally, but yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> um, or, or you know, as teachers are navigating the, the tough time of what's ahead for the school year, um, you know, people are learning how to stand up for their black brothers and sisters and community members against racism. You know, just all over the place. We're a team. We stick together. We're a team. Yeah. We stick together. That's something I want to get out. I don't think our world needs more billboards, but if we got to have some, <laughs> that's what I would want on it. <laughs> Kayla, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation. I, I definitely uh, honor the fact that, um, yeah, you've got a, a whole household to run and, and to and kids to tend to and stuff. So uh, I, I appreciate you coming on here and sharing this conversation. Uh, before we go, You've uh, introduced us to your work already, but is there anything else you'd like to plug and how can people keep up with uh, what you're up to? Well, first, it was such an honor to have this conversation. Thank you for making me think (laughs) critically about about hard things because oftentimes it's easy to, you know, kind of numb out or feel disconnected. And so I just really appreciate um, your thoughtful questions and the work that you are doing on this podcast and um, just the actual serving of our neighbor and our world. So thank you for that. Um, I am at KeelaCraig.com and I mostly spend my time on Instagram. (laughs) So I'm Kayla underscore Craig on Instagram and you can see my cute kids and maybe some hot takes. (laughs) Um, But, you know, every 
everything I'm sharing about faith and parenting and peacemaking on there. I'm Liturgies for Parents on Instagram, which is where you can find these kind of short liturgies and breath prayers that are rooted in scripture. And I'm also starting um, a newsletter because I know not everyone is on social media as much as I am. And that's probably a good thing. So I am starting a newsletter for Liturgies for Parents that um, I can share the link with to you for people that might be interested, but don't necessarily want to, you know, keep scrolling. (laughs) And then I'm also Upside Down Podcast. Um, We are just starting up season five. We're really excited. Collaborative podcast talking about um, justice and spirituality. And that's just UpsideDownPodcast.com. Or, you know, you can find it wherever you're listening to this podcast. We're a team and we stick together. Romans 12, 15 tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. But so many of us have lost touch with that latter instruction to weep, to hold grief, especially in the Western church. Just think about Sunday services, the content of the sermon, the ratio of celebrating uh, and firing people up compared with the times that we just sit with people in the midst of their pain. Um, We definitely spent a lot more time celebrating. And I think about those times when I've been in a moment of pain, when somebody tells me that everything happens for a reason, or it's all God's part of God's plan, or all of those platitudes. Uh, it's just, it hurts. It feels disconnected from the moment that we're in. And just thinking personally, I think the time that I felt most comforted was when I was in the midst of a really hard struggle that just had felt like it was going on forever. and. A friend sat with me after church and we both just cried. We were probably crying for different reasons, but we both just cried and and it was wonderful. And I think that that God invites us into that. We know that Jesus wept on record in the Bible. Why did they write about that? I think because it's important. There's an entire book of the Bible dedicated to lamentations. And so now in the midst of this widespread ecological loss and this very acute moment, of loss due to COVID-19, sitting in grief and sadness and weeping is a posture that's close to the heart of God. The Psalms, I understand, are probably 70% lament. So we're in good company and we have to take hold of what is unchanging and firm. And to live these things in community as well, it can't be a, a solitary journey. This is Peter Harris, and through heartbreaking circumstances, he has an intimate knowledge of lament, grief, and how that applies to the collective moment we're in. Peter is the co-founder of Arasha, a Christian conservation organization that works with local communities to protect natural habitats and biodiversity. In October of last year, Peter and his wife Miranda were on a trip with Arasha's CEO and his wife, Chris and Susanna Naylor. They were going to South Africa, exploring potential project sites. And as we ended this journey, we were driving or being driven back towards the airport. And in very adverse weather conditions are four by four and the the trailer were blown off a, a 35 foot bridge. And Chris and Susanna and my wife Miranda were killed and I was uh, severely injured and I'm, I'm recovering still. And so 
while we've known great suffering in Arosha's history at different times and losses as well, this has come very much into my own personal life now. And as anybody who goes through these experiences will tell you, you, you don't learn new things, but you learn the depth and the resonance of what you already know in a very painful and very new way. And lament and grappling with the mysteries of God's ways with us uh, become very real. Thank you for sharing that experience. And I'm sorry for, for the profound loss that you have recently went through and you're still going through and, and seeing the effects from. Uh, one thing you said stuck out to me, which was that, you know, some days it is just getting from one cup of tea to the next one foot in front of the other. And I think this is a, a recent observation and a recent thing I've pattern I've been seeing in the work that um, I get to do with Plant with Purpose and in my own personal life. Uh, I think uh, actually right around um, late 2018, I happened to go to Haiti and hearing stories from um, people who are explaining to me the lowest of their low points, losing loved ones in the earthquake, the daily struggle of having to survive. Many of them were telling me how how it just seemed like there was no sign of a foreseeable change on the horizon. And and for them, the days were a matter of just putting one foot in front of the other to get to the possibility of seeing what's next. And I think some of the hardest moments in my own life have have been that way too. It's not always looking to solve the problem. It's looking to make it to the next page, the next chapter. I think why I'm bringing this up is because, you know, I mentioned earlier that um, a lot of us have maybe an impulse to, to look away from lament, to not give it its proper course. And, and there's this impulse that says, well, where's the hope? Where's the hopeful message at the end? Where's the resolution? And for me, I think what, what I observe from Haiti and from that personal experience that I might be sensing in your story as well is that an element of hope does take place in that making it to the next step, to the next cup of tea. Um, does that resonate with with some of what you've experienced? Uh, or, yeah, does that, has that fit in the way you've been understanding lament? Yes, I think it does. I should say I think I've been among the most privileged of those who've suffered because I've had such tremendous support. And you're always aware that there are those who are far more uh, demuni, uh, who are far more destroyed and impoverished and desolate as a result of how they have to live their losses. So I don't pretend any expertise. I do think everybody laments in their own way. And I think temperament comes into this as well. But if I understand Christian hope, by definition, it's for things we don't see. It's a definition of a direction of travel more than a an understanding of what will be or how it will be. It certainly is no attempt to explain anything or understand it um, because nothing you can actually put on the balance scale would, would compensate for the loss that you're living with. And what we see in scripture is God's broken heart about his own creation in all its dimensions, the groaning of creation that Romans talks about in Hosea, when it talks about the earth mourning, and we, we see that emotional language through scripture in the face of loss. 
And I think everybody must take this up in their own way. But why I say community is important is that I do think that because of the body of Christ and the way that we lament and grieve in our own ways, we can be carried by each other and encouraged to keep on that forward, hopeful journey, waiting for what the Lord will do. And there's a kind of ruthless, bleak, if you like, logic to this, that if we live in a created and loved world into which God himself came and endured the suffering beyond what we have endured, even in intensive care, I was aware towards the end that the suffering that I had was not intentionally done to me by anybody. And yet Christ suffered at the hands of people wishing to do him that terrible harm. And so there are so many ways in which God's suffering, if you like, in the suffering of his son is so much greater. So I think we can remind each other of these things and not let, it's not happiness, but it's it's joy or it's something not that let that be be overcome by the terrible things that can overtake us that is not going to be god's ways in his creation but i think it seems to me that time is it's as if the lord has has built resilience and healing into his own creation and we have to give it the time that it takes and it's much longer than we would expect the exile went on for years and we never see the meaning of what we go through, and it's on very long wavelengths. So our our calling is to renew each day in worship and fellowship and putting our, our trust as much as we can where it belongs. How do you think lament better positions us to, to understand this and to, to have a fuller perspective on caring for creation and seeking to conserve it and restore it in areas. During the lifetime of Arosha, which is now coming towards 40 years, I suppose, we have seen nearly half on, of life on earth disappear. It's this phenomenon known as the thinning of life. I don't mean a half of the species, but just life forms, a tremendous attrition. And pretty well everywhere we work, we're seeing this this loss. I'm talking to you today from a Wiltshire village in the south of England where everything looks green and beautiful, but there are half the number of swifts in the sky today over my village and nesting in my village as there were 20 years ago. And if you look at things like skylarks on the fields, then the losses are much greater than that. This is all tracked by the IUCN's red list. And so I think Lament is going to be the essential condition of the Christian who cares about God's creation living in our in our times, because our times are not given to wide consideration of the whole of creation. We see tremendous consideration given to the economy. We see tremendous consideration given to our personal well-being, but we have not yet figured out how to live as fulfilled communities and as people without causing tremendous damage to creation, a sort of depleting model. And so lament, biblically understood, has become something that is very important to us. 
But lament is very different from depression. And I'm curious, could you expand on that a little bit? What what are the key differences and what are some of the dangers that um, we might run into when we confuse the two of them? I'm not saying that depression might not form part of the experience that people go through. My, my own daughter's written a wonderful book about depression and her depression called Through the Dark Woods. And I think that there can be seasons of depression, but I think lament is different because once you start talking, once you start externalizing, once you start framing and naming the conditions, you're already on the way out. You're already on the way through. I think uh, it was David Ford in his book, The Shape of Living, talking about being overwhelmed, who said that this sort of trajectory is to name things and then describe them and then to begin to reimagine the world in the light of what has overwhelmed you, coming to terms with it. And because lament by its nature is relational, it's different from depression, which is so terribly isolating and can be so hard to deal with precisely because of the, that isolation. And at its best, I think lament, as I've said before, is, is something that is best carried out in, in good company. And those are probably some of the, the immediate differences that come to mind, but, but wiser people would, would probably know better than me where those distinctions really lie. So this is a very unique moment because I think a lot of things that are lamentable, that um, need to be lamented in order to be changed are really coming to light. And you know, pretty much all of us have faced some form of loss as a result of um, COVID-19. If it's not outright losing a loved one, it could be the loss of a job or even just the loss of a sense of normalcy, a loss of plans. And I, I'm curious how your um, evolving understanding of lament um, continues to unfold with all this going on, as it you know, it, it it started on a very personal note, but now it's um, it's extended. It's still personal, but also global. There are many, many parallels. I, I suppose just from my own personal experience, it it feels as though both the eruption of sudden concern about racism uh, globally and the pandemic these are like amplifiers, and they're also places where one can see tremendous connections. Of course, we we believe the pandemic began essentially through the abuse of creation as trade in wild animals like pangolins and, and bats brought these viruses into human community. And we also see how systemic injustice around the world, often racial in nature, leads to tremendous environmental abuse of of different kinds. And those appear very clearly in all the data. And it, it does seem as though there's a very clear lesson for all of us to learn if, if, we, if we wish to read the signs of the times, as Jesus said, just as the gospel can be written in the landscape and good news can be seen in places transformed by God's people. So similarly, as the prophets always said, our breakup of relationship with God will translate itself into broken communities and broken places. And those connections have not always been seen clearly, let alone by the, by the Christian church. The historian Richard Lovelace says that 
the dualism which has allowed us to think that the gospel makes no difference to our social relations, our racial relations, and our environmental relations, that dualism for him emerged in the history of slavery when people wanted to keep reading the Bible and keep sustaining slavery. And the only way to do that was to say, oh, well, the Bible's got nothing to say to here and now. It's just all about the future and the spiritual, which is not material. And these subtle heresies um, have deep roots. And we can see the connections now much more clearly, I think, through the very dramatic times where we're living in. Yeah, I, I agree to that. And all these observations that are, are coming to light. Yeah, one more thing I wanted to ask is, you know, with so many more opportunities to to learn how to incorporate lament uh, alongside our spiritual practices and to see how that uh, interplays with current events, with global situations and with um, issues like like the pandemic, like climate change and like racial injustice going on. Say you were to encounter somebody who for a long time has only associated their spiritual practice with, with positive feelings and has is interested but is perhaps intimidated or unsure about how to how to open the door for a lament. What would you sort of offer as a, a starting block towards that journey? Oh, it's a good question again. I suppose it could start by a conscious exercise in listening, because perhaps your own life has not brought you anything but delight, uh, but you don't have to go very far to be with people whose that has not been their experience. And I think because we have built these barriers and walls around ourselves and perhaps shielded ourselves from the experience of others, we haven't discovered that register in our own spiritual life. And as I've discovered recently, I don't think you can reject your own experience of life or feel bad about it, but there's, it, it's unlikely to persist for the whole of your life. And it certainly won't persist for all of those that you, that you know. The year before our accident, Miranda and I lost six good friends to one thing and another and grieved them and lamented them. And as I've said, just like the essential condition of the fundraiser is vulnerability. So the essential condition, I think, of those who care for creation is that you risk having your heart broken. So I would say that the first step is to listen and perhaps embrace the world we actually live in and those who are not far from us because we will soon find that different perspectives may disturb our determination to remain in a kind of land of the lotus eaters or, or delight where nothing ruffles the waves. A big thank you to Peter Harris. We are honored by your words and your willingness to share. Be sure to search online and on social media and follow the work of Peter's team at Arasha. Well, this may feel like an odd and uncomfortable point for ending this episode, but for me, a big part of learning how to lament properly has meant resisting my tendency to rush towards happy endings and to sit in grief and discomfort and a lack of resolution a little bit longer than feels natural. Yeah, I do believe deep, deep down that there's more to the story and that there's hope and there's more for us to talk about. But for the sake of learning how to lament and to hold space, 
Let's end this episode right here. Grassroots is a Plant With Purpose production. Be sure to follow us on social media at plantwpurpose and visit us at plantwithpurpose.org where you can plant a tree for a dollar or contribute to the Readiness and Resilience Fund that we mentioned earlier. Big thanks to Senora Basilia in the Dominican Republic, uh, Kayla Craig and Peter Harris for coming on our show. Don't forget to follow at Kayla underscore Craig on social media or to look up Arasha online and see what they're up to. Show production and consultation came from Chad Michael Snavely and Nick Lapara. Thank you both. The show was written and recorded on Kumeyaay land. I'm Christy Renault. I'm Philippe Lazaro. See you next time and keep practicing resurrection.